morning is Genesis chapter 18, and we'll read the first 20, uh, sorry, the first uh, 15 verses of entitled uh, sermon this morning, Marks of Grace 1 and its hospitality, and that's what we'll be thinking about this morning, hospitality. This is the word of God in which there's no mistakes and is infallible. And the Lord appeared to Abram by the oaks of Mamre as he sat at the door of his tent in the heat of the day. He lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, three men were standing in front of him. When he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them and bowed himself to the earth and said, O Lord, if I have found favour in your sight, do not pass by your servant. Now let a little water be brought and wash your feet and rest yourselves under the tree while I bring a morsel of bread that you may refresh yourselves and after that you may pass on since you have come to your servant. So they said, do as you have said. And Abraham went quickly into the tent of Sarah and said, quick, three seals of fine flour kneaded and make cakes. And Abraham ran to the herd and took a calf, tender and good, and gave it to a young man who prepared it quickly. Then he took curds and milk and the calf that he had prepared and set it before them. And he stood by them under the tree while they ate. They said to him, Where is Sarah your wife? And he said, She is in the tent. The Lord said, I will surely return to you about the next day. About this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. And Sarah was listening at the tent door behind him. Now Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in years, the way women had ceased to be with Sarah. So Sarah laughed to herself, saying, After I am worn out and my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure? The Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh and say, Shall I indeed bear a child now that I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will return to you about this time next year, and Sarah shall have a son. But Sarah denied it, saying, I did not laugh, for she was afraid. He said, No, but you did laugh. Then the men set out from there, and they looked down towards Sodom, and Abram went with them uh, to set them on their way, finishing at verse 16. In and outside the church, there is a lot of talk about hospitality. Uh, it's not always uh, accompanied by the same light and understanding as it is with the same enthusiasm. Uh, but there is a lot of talk about hospitality. It was only a number of years ago, a friend of mine who was involved in running uh, restaurants and that kind of thing uh, began to talk about the hospitality industry. But that seems like a kind of contradiction in terms of an oxymoron. Uh, hospitality and industry or, or hospitality that you pay for. It's a kind of strange view of the secular idea of making money out of being kind. But there you go. 
Uh, so I think we need to clear up a, a little bit this morning uh, about what Christian hospitality means. Understanding that here it's not talking about the corporate hospitality of the church. So I don't want to venture into uh, the New Testament understanding too much. Uh, but rather this personal grace of hospitality that hospitality that is found in believers, which may be present by nature as a natural characteristic. Some of us are naturally more hospitable than others, but within the believer is strengthened by salvation and renewed by grace and motivated and, and driven by a different engine, if you like. Uh, by the grace of God in Christ. Because, of course, the context here is that Abram and Sarah have been resting on the promises of the covenant of grace. You'll remember that the patriarch had gone outside the tent when God had asked him to uh, number the stars uh, and it said, so shall your offspring be. And Abram believed God's promise and he was justified, he was granted a, a new status. He was declared to be righteous before God through faith. Uh, ultimately, that must be faith in the promised seed to come, the Christ, as Paul goes on to expound it in the New Testament. So, this is a saved couple. They've received God's grace. Their lives have been changed and are being changed, having been renewed in the image and knowledge of God in Christ. And uh, we've seen them put on the sign and seal of salvation in <coughs> circumcision uh, last week. And now we see the outcome and result of faith, the fruit of faith, in a double mark of grace that's, uh, that attention's drawn to. The first one is hospitality. Next week we'll look at the second one, prayerful intercession. But it's the first I want to look at this morning. And maybe perhaps in rather simple and basic terms. But I think we, we will see the point and the message here. Firstly, we see... Abram's hospitality is quick. It's quick hospitality. He doesn't drag his heels. It's not unenthusiastic. Uh, it's not like the tortoise. You hardly put one foot past another. Rather, it's like the hare racing to display this grace in his life. Look at verse 1 of chapter 18. And the Lord appeared to him by the oaks of Mamre, that's just uh, near Hebron where he was dwelling, as he sat at the door of his tent in the heat of the day. Now he had every excuse, didn't he, not to rise. It was hot out there. It was cool in here. There was no air con. No wall units or no central air con. This was a dry part of the land, south of Jerusalem, just on the verge of the desert, the arid, hot, baking land. And it's noonday. 
This is the time of the day, the sixth hour, when the sun is at its highest in the sky. And so he's sitting there, but he gets up because he sees, he notices an opportunity. He seizes upon it. He's glad, uh, perhaps, and this is a certain amount of speculation, so I don't want to say this too strongly. Perhaps he had been waiting for the Lord to come back, although he doesn't seem to recognize who his visitors are, certainly at first. But, but whatever the case, maybe it's just he, he just sees God's image in humanity and he's filled with a kindness and a gladness and enthusiasm to exercise this grace of hospitality. So he lifted up his eyes and what did he see? Three men were standing opposite him in front of him. And when he saw them, he ran. Probably not like Carl Lewis, but he, he certainly ran. He didn't walk. He was brisk. He must get there and not miss this opportunity. There must be no delay. And he ran from the tent of the door out into the sun. Can you picture it? To meet them and he prostrated himself. He falls down. And he bows himself to the earth. That was the custom. To exercise hospitality and said, O Lord, if I find favour in your sight, do not pass by your servant. Let me be the one who relieves your need and shows hospitality to you. So there's nothing coerced or planned about this patriarchal meat. But he flees the shade and runs to welcome. It reminds me a little, I don't want to single anyone out, it's a very hospitable congregation in Ridgefield Park, but I'm always encouraged uh, when I go round to the Perez's and the boys are out to meet and greet. They're just waiting for us come or waiting for you to come I'm sure you've experienced the same they, they just can't wait and something of that expectation here is in the patriarchy just can't wait now I wouldn't want to say and I think would be wrong to stress this too much hospitality doesn't have to always be an instinctive or impulsive act as it was here. He acted an impulse. He just saw what was before him and sorted it out as he knew God required. But he, he had so cultivated this grace in his life, it was the normal, regular thing for him to do. And so he meets this need. It shows a heart that is intent on supplying when he can and when it's required and when need crosses his path to supply the needs of those who like him, who are God's creatures to whom God is kind. And it does suggest, doesn't it, an implanted seed 
or the milk of human kindness. As someone has said, I think it's maybe Shakespeare. The milk of human kindness is implanted in his heart and that the loving kindness of God has begun a good work in him. And that's why he rushes out and bows down and says, let me help. And it makes us ask the question, doesn't it? Do we have such an enjoyment of companionship, human companionship, and especially Christian companionship, uh, love of fellowship, and a sense of God's kindness to us, that our hospitality is quick? I think it is, from what I see. Uh, sometimes I feel humbled by the degree and intensity of hospitality that I see in your lives. And may that, by God's grace, that's something we can pray for, that it develops more and more. Uh, all are not necessarily in the same position to offer hospitality. And God gives gifts, a particular gifts to some for the whole of the body. So if our hospitality is maybe less quick than some, don't let that discourage you too much. Uh, do what you're able to do and do what you can and what you can't do, then let yourself be served and enjoy the kindness of Christ overflowing to you as it comes through the other members of the body. With the caveat that we all can become kinder in this area or quicker. So quick hospitality. Then the second thing we see is much hospitality. It's not just quick, not just fast, but it's also great and much. Some might even say there's far too much. It's excessive. It's over the top. Surely all this wasn't required. But that's what we see here. Verse 4 on. Okay, it starts small, doesn't it? Let a little water be brought and wash your feet. The custom, of course, the, the travellers, their feet, they didn't have the lovely uh, asphalt potholed roads uh, round here to walk in. Uh, but the dusty, sandy roads, uh, their feet would have been uh, dry and caked and uh, dirty. And so the, the hospitality of washing the feet. And there's water, there's rest under the tree. Verse 4b, in the shade, of course. Uh, that's presumably one of the reasons why Abram stationed himself at the Oaks of Mamre for the shade. It's interesting, uh, back in Ireland, in the UK, we tend to have to, and I wouldn't want to make this an either-or or a very stark case, but we tend to have trees to screen uh, and for privacy. Whereas here, of course, in the summertime, when the heat's baking down, I'm glad of a tree above my house. We don't have trees above our, our houses here ever. 
or in front of the houses, unless the plots are overgrown. But because shade is important in a hot climate, and so it is here. Uh, while I bring a morsel of bread, uh, and it was some morsel, it was a huge morsel, it was more than a mouthful, that you may refresh yourselves, and after that you may pass on. Since you've come to your servant, he's, he's taken the role of servant here. He's a hospitable servant. He's acting as their chef uh, and their waiter or their butler. He's doing everything with the help of his wife, Sarah. And Abram went quickly into the tent and said, Quick, three seers of fine flour. Needed and make cakes. Well, five seers of flour was used to feed David and his army on the move. Two seas was used to pour the water on the sacrifice on the altar where Elijah offered the sacrifice on the wood on the altar to the Lord God on Mount Carmel when he was having the contest with the prophets of Baal and winning, of course, hands down. But it was two, two seas soaked the whole area. So this is more than one little tiny piece of bread or loaf each. There's going to be bread for days here. It was a lot. It wasn't, wasn't strictly necessary. But you see, there's an abundance flowing out of his heart because he has received the abundant grace of God and that's what's motivating him. He can't do enough for these men. It is Extravagant. Some of us might say a waste. Uh, I sadly have known a a couple in church renowned for hospitality. I've said this before, I think. And uh, sadly, I almost always went home from their home hungry. It was hospitality, but it was... Pretty mean, slim pickings. But here, there's more than enough for all. Just three guests, one sia each. That's an impressive amount of hospitality that's offered here. Well, it seems that if God spares no cost in saving Abraham by grace... How can food be a waste if it's used to express divine love for creatures made in his likeness? And that's doubly true of those made in his image. In fact, these men, it'll become become apparent that one is the Lord and two are angels in chapter 19 and later on in, in 18, end of the conversation, as it goes on uh, but they are strangers relative strangers unknowns I guess when I was thinking about how to apply this I thought what if our enemy came hungry the person 
in the whole of Christendom, we like the least. And we least want to offer hospitality to. How would we react? Would our hospitality be tested? I remember a friend of mine, an old friend who's now passed into glory, and he, he just always uh, counseled me uh, when you're having difficulties with friends or brothers and sisters or, or even enemies of the gospel, always see the devil behind them, but always see them as made in the image of God. See, that will help us be kind and hospitable, even to those we would prefer not to be in the same room as. And that will test our hospitality. And the more we're acquainted and well acquainted as we read the scriptures, as we sing the Psalms, as we've done this morning and thought in Bible class of the abundance of God's grace, how vast and massive it is and how superabounding and overflowing it is. Uh, I saw one of the levees broke a hundred foot section of levee on the Californian coast and the place was inundated and flooded just yesterday or maybe the day before. Uh, that water overflowed and the town was drowned. Well, God's grace is a bit like that in a positive way. It overflows and submerges and covers and the more we understand that then, the more it frees our hearts and spurs us on to generously give this hospitality. The openness of God's hand. So do not count the cost or the expense when you're giving hospitality. And at least not until you have to pay the bills afterwards. <laughs> The third thing then is not only is it quick and much hospitality, but guest hospitality in verses 1, 10 and 13. Uh, who is this triumvirate of guests? Verse 2, he lifted up his eyes and looked and behold, three men were standing in front of him. Three uh, characters who appeared in the form of men, I think is the way we should understand this not being too literal here uh, because one of them we know is the Lord. He's referred to the Lord uh, and it's, it's, it's not just Lord but it's pointed with the vows which are always used of God. So he's speaking to the divine Lord. That's the way the Hebrew scribes pointed it and pronounced it, presumably their, their traditional pronunciation reliable. They understood from the start that God had appeared to them in this temporary human form. It's not the incarnation yet. The incarnation's a permanent bodily human form that Christ took, but this is a temporary form to appear and reveal himself to the people. So verse 10, the Lord... That is Yahweh here 
said, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. And there's other marks too of uh, divinity, of course. Uh, Abram calls him the divine Lord. He speaks here as Yahweh. Uh, There's a supernatural knowledge of Sarah's laughter. See, we're told uh, in verse 10b, And Sarah was listening at the tent door behind him. Now Abram and Sarah were old, advanced in years. The way of women had ceased to be with Sarah. She couldn't have uh, uh, at this age of spring. So Sarah laughed. And that expression there in the ESV, to herself, is actually within her innermost being. That's the Hebrew term. It was deep within. Uh, A bit like when I'm laughing at home, I'm heartily laughing. Uh, Everything in the room shakes before you actually hear anything. It's unheard laughter, but it is visible laughter, and it's internal laughter. Uh, And the Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh? So Sarah is concealed visibly. She's inside the tent behind the patriarch, and yet the Lord, one of these three, uh, hears and sees and knows Sarah laughed. Sarah was there and also laughed. Well, that's the knowledge of God. So the triumvirate of guests who ate are not the three persons of the Godhead. That has been taught. Uh, I think that would be more of an Eastern Orthodox tradition. Uh, but it's clearly not correct. We, we understand how people might want to overinterpret the text in that way, but it's not. So and that, that emerges clearly, I think, in chapter uh, 19. It's, 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 it's not the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Nothing indicates that. And as, as I think we've said in, in uh, the past, it's not until the New Testament and the baptism of Jesus that the three persons of the Godhead explicitly emerge. Though they're present in the Old Testament by implication at many points. Uh, later on we learn that two of these men are angelic messengers they're the ones who proceed on their reconnaissance missions to to Sodom and Gomorrah to to come back with a report do they deserve to be spared or should they be destroyed and Abram addresses uh, their leader as uh, a divine Lord. So if generosity should be driven by God's vast grace to us, Hebrews suggests a second motive. I'm not sh- sure that you would put this at the top of your list, but who knows? You never know 
who you might entertain when you're exercising hospitality. As Hebrews 13 puts it, as we read, some have even entertained angels, so be hospitable. We certainly, I think, always miss out, at least on Christian fellowship, if not angelic encounters, when we withhold hospitality. How much blessing comes to us when we welcome people into our homes or when we freely give of what we we have. I remember a number of years ago, it must have been 1989, and we were on a campus crusade for Christ, Mission North Star to Leningrad, as it was called then, or St. Petersburg. I think I've mentioned this before. A lovely city. If you can, go there sometime. It's, it's one to put on your, on your bucket list. A uh, beautiful city. Leningrad, uh, Krasivi, Gorot. It's a beautiful city. That's about my height of Russia. But, uh, and I'm not speaking in tongues. Uh, but uh, uh, we went... And we met these strangers, came into the room, and they had nothing. They had no food, hardly any clothes, a, a, a one room with us, kitchenette and bare walls. And they started taking things out of their drawers, gifts that they had received, which didn't mean much to us, but they were prized possessions to them, and they gave us what they had. And they weren't even Christians at that point. What can Christians not go the extra mile in terms of hospitality? I think they can. And of course, let's also remember that when we give hospitalities to brothers and sisters of our Lord Jesus Christ, we're actually giving to and supplying the need of the children of God in whom Christ is. So actually we're serving Christ. When we give, isn't that a, a transforming thought and motive? as to serving our brothers and sisters. Paul says, Christ in me, the hope of glory. It's it's Christ we're serving. What a a privilege is given to the children of God to serve the children of God and Christ in them. I remember a lady in Carryduff, the Presbyterian Church, mainstream, I guess the equivalent of PCA, where I was an assistant. Her name was Nan Rob. She was a single widow, uh, and she was a former primary school head mistress. And she had a lovely, gracious way about her, but what she always had was a spare bed kept and made for, for messengers of God's word travelling around Northern Ireland. What a testimony to God's grace and what a beautiful practice. She had 
been blessed in that way and had the opportunity to do it. And maybe today it would be questioned the, the propriety of it. But back then it was just a, a, a kind gesture of Christian hospitality. We see also then, fourthly, that it's a blessed hospitality in verses 9 through 15. And, uh, and they said to him, where is Sarah, your wife? And he said, she's in the tent. The Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year. And Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. You see, these messengers had come to build up household faith. Maybe that's why Christ offers it. One of the reasons Christ offers us the opportunity of exercising hospitality. The divinity of one guest is proven by a promise that made Sarah laugh inside out and inside out of sight, uh, which the visitor overheard, though it was inaudible. Uh, a timely child, though this lady was past the age of bearing children. Nothing is going to be too hard for God. Isn't that a wonderful message to receive today into our lives? Nothing is too hard for God. Oh, well, you should see my list of all my problems that I have drawn up, and I think it's too hard for the Lord. Is that what you you do with your difficulties? This is too hard for God. Therefore, I'll sort it out myself. Or this is too hard for the Lord. Therefore, I'll despair and, and give up and stop waiting and praying and expecting. This is just too difficult. But surely, if we know the God of the Bible... We're encouraged as we pray and we read and we hear the promises of God that nothing is too hard for the Lord. Mary was also told, wasn't she, uh, that nothing shall be impossible with God. That was a humanly impossible thing. But the Lord Jesus Christ should come uh, as the Holy Spirit overshadowed the womb of the Virgin uh, and give birth to the male child, the promised child, who would become the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, sitting on the everlasting throne of David to die to defend us and rescue us and redeem us and save us and bless us and protect us and keep us and guard us and lead us and rule over us for all eternity granting us the faith by the spirit poured out into our hearts nothing is impossible for God so let's never forget the ultimate aim of meet and greet why do we meet and greet well It's lovely to relax, to chill, or to chillax. It's lovely to laugh and spend time with each other and and share fun. It's, it's, It's good to meet social needs, and that's important, I think, in a small congregation. Uh, maybe 
you, you think, I don't have a, a whole lot of friends, and it's difficult to make friends. People are so busy in, in Jersey. And of so little time, there's always no time for other people outside their circle, so it's hard to make friends, so it's important to meet social needs, I think, in a, a community of the saints. But the chief reason which must not be lost sight of or dominated or squeezed out is to further spiritual ends and to fill our hearts with the idea that in Christ nothing is impossible with God. So there's four things Four thoughts about hospitality. It's quick. It should be quick. It's much. Is it quick? Is it much? Uh, remember, we don't know who the, the guest is, but whoever it is, let's welcome in God's name. And then blessed hospitality. In conclusion, are you quick to... Uh, Quick to your feet to meet and greet human need. Let's be so more and more. Does the expense of Christ's cost, which was infinite, make us forget the cost? Is there a spare bed in your heart for messengers of the truth? Always a welcome for the bringers and the messengers of the word of God, whether angelic or human, as the Lord comes to us. And if God time is meat and drink to us, our food times will be blessed. May God continue to deepen to exercise this ministry of hospitality in our midst. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Uh, l- l- last week was so uh, complex and theological, and 